rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Tony, if you'll come and we'll pray together for, the, for you and for this time. Dear Father, again, we come to you this morning and we pray. Um, we praise you and we, um, and we um, ask of you to um, open our hearts to your word. Give my brother Tony um, the, the fullest feeling, uh, filling of your spirit as he, um, as he again opens the word for us preaches to us the, the message you've given him for us today, Lord. Um, Lord, let us honor you in all that we do this morning. In your son's name, amen. So for those of you who are here <clears throat> several weeks ago, you may remember that we talked for a little bit about God's will, as in what is God's will for my life? And whenever we came to the end of that sermon, what we determined was is that it's really hard to tell for us to discern like the details of God's will for my like day to day. You know, does God will for me to eat Lucky Charms or, or cornflakes this morning? If God actually does have a will for what cereal you're supposed to eat in the morning, like I don't know it. And so if you ask me what choice you should make, I kind of don't know what to tell you. But we do see things in the scripture that we can point at and say, this is 100% God's will for your life. There's no guesswork. There's no reading tea leaves. Um, you don't have to like put a, a, a fleece out and see if moisture rises on it, as you know you see in one Old Testament story. There's no hocus pocus or magic to learning what God's will for you is in certain situations. And in this text, we get another explicit mention of this is God's will for you. God's will for you. And so with that, let's go ahead and reread um, kind of the full scripture that we're looking at today. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The first verse here, verse 16, is two words. Rejoice always. One of the shortest verses in the Bible, most of them longer, this one short. Uh, whenever I first gave the scriptures to Derek, I said, you know, we're doing three verses today. And he saw them up on the screen, and he's like, that's not three verses. Um, it's almost like we're looking at one complete full sentence today, um, but it's just jam-packed with information. So the first verse, rejoice always. Rejoice always, people. Now, whenever I say that, some of you are going to be, like the optimists among us, are going to be right on, right? You look around the room and you look at people and you're like, stop being so gloomy. Why are you so sad all the time? You know, just smile once in a while. The optimists among us are going to hear this, this command to rejoice always and be like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. That's right. But then there are going to be others in the room who are going to, you know, instead of saying right on, they're going to be like, come on, right? That's not realistic. You can't rejoice every moment of every day. Um, you know, I can be happy sometimes, right? But other times, I'm not going to rejoice. I'm not going to have joy in my heart. So some of us are going to look at this and think it's unrealistic. And then others of us might look at this and just think it's beyond unrealistic, that it's borderline hopeless. Um, I just want to acknowledge that some of us 
don't just have a, a problem with rejoicing occasionally. Some of us have a hard time remembering the last time we just like felt real joy. Um, for anyone that struggled with depression, um, for anyone who's been through really hard circumstances, um, for those of us who look at the news and just despair, rejoicing period may be difficult. And so we come to Paul, an apostle, speaking to the church in Thessalonica at this time, and he, he commands them, rejoice always. Rejoice. And even though this was a, a letter written to a specific church thousands of years ago, even though their situation is removed from ours, we can pretty much assume, based on what we know about them, that there would have likely have been the similar reactions in that church, right? Some, in, in that church, there would have been optimists who would have said, yeah, guys, party, you know, don't be gloomy. There would have been others that would have been middle of the road. And then we know, we know from previous, uh, reading previous portions of this letter that we're in, that some of the people had been persecuted directly for their faith. Um, at least one person had to foot the bill to like, get, out of, get out of jail, imprisoned for his faith. Some would have thought about rejoicing and had a major struggle. And so the question comes up, like, how do we reconcile that? How do we reconcile Paul's command to rejoice, to have joy, to show joy with the reality that life is hard? Um, we know that there were problems in that city, just like there are problems in our city. People have financial problems, there's social unrest. We know for a fact that Paul, who wrote this command, Rejoice Always, had been chased out of towns because of riots. He'd been taken aside by mobs and beaten to the point of death. He'd had friends that had been supporters of his, like basically turn their back on him or stab him in the back and start, you know, basically cursing him to other people. Paul had experienced his fair share of hard times, and yet he calls us to rejoice. Hopefully there's a passage, we can go to a couple other scriptures to help us with this. What does it mean when Paul says rejoice always? Um, one of the places that we can go is a parallel scripture. This is also a letter that Paul wrote, only this time to the church in Rome. So we find this in Romans 12, 12. Should come up on the screen. So this is a parallel verse where Paul says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Do you see the parallels with the verses that we're looking at today? The mention of rejoicing and praying. But here we have a little bit more than just rejoice always. We have Paul saying specifically, Rejoice in hope, right? So the command to rejoice. The command to have joy, uh, joy is wrapped up in this sense of hope. So this isn't just blind optimism. Like, I'm just an optimistic person. I'm just a happy person. I'm just an inherently joyful person. No, Paul says, uh, rejoice in hope. 
Um, another, in, uh, another apostle, this time Peter, speaks also to this. And he gives a, a, an even wider context to what this hope is that we can have joy in. And so I'm going to read a passage out of Peter, First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 8. It says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So just a pause there. Peter starts out by praising God because he sent Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins, right? Paul's basically repeating the gospel here. He says, the God in heaven who sees your sin and your rebellion and your moral filth sent Christ to die for you so that you could have a new life so that you could be born again, so that your sins could be put off, off of you and on to Jesus. So that if you're, a, if you're a Christian, if you believe in Christ, if you're trusting in him, if you've accepted him as your king, then God guards you with his power so that you're saved, that you're not under condemnation or destruction and so he starts with that, and then in verse 6 he says this, In this you rejoice, in the hope that you have for a life that's better beyond the suffering and the pain and the sin of this one. In this you rejoice, though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Right? So you rejoice even though right now things hurt. He continues saying, So that the tested genuineness uh, of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so in this section of scripture, what we see through the words of Peter are that in Christ in our love for him and in the salvation that he gives to us and the love that he shows us, the deepest needs of our soul are met. Right? So we can live lives where we do lots of things and we pursue happiness as hard as we can, but for most of us, at the end of the day, there's just like an emptiness at the end of it. Right? So, like, the best example that I can give for this kind of letdown is as I, whenever I was a kid and I would hear the words holiday world, I would get excited because holiday world was this theme park 
a couple of hours from where I lived in Indiana, and it was kind of a dinky theme park, frankly, compared to, you know, like Six Flags or some of the bigger ones. But I loved going there because it was a full day where instead of me fitting, being, you know, fit into my parents' schedule, it was an entire day where my parents were like, this is for you, you know. And the gates would open to the theme park and I would rush in and I'd ride the roller coasters and do the bumper cars and go down the log ride, right? But at the end of the day, when it was time to go home, this thing that I thought was going to be so fulfilling, like there was always this sense of like, well, but now it's over, right? And I'm not going to get to go again probably for another year. And so I would get this intense moment of joy that only a child can have, but even as a child, whenever it was over, that moment, like I was left empty, just waiting for the next thing to come along and distract me or make me happy, right? That's why we thrill-seek. It lasts for a moment, but then it's gone. What we see here in the Word is that in Christ, those deep needs, the holiday world won't fix, that like a girlfriend or a wife or a boyfriend or a husband won't fix, that kids won't fix, that a big house with a white picket fence won't fix, those deep needs are satisfied. And that's where the joy comes from. Like that's whenever Paul says rejoice always. He's calling people who know Jesus to look back at him to the satisfaction to their souls that the knowledge their salvation brings. And he says rejoice. Rejoice. Even though you have trials or setbacks, even though you get in arguments with those who are closest to you, even though you have frustrations, you know, you get fired by your job right whenever you're like hoping it's going to go better, right? Even though you're frustrated, even though you're disappointed, even though you're brokenhearted, we have hope, right? We have hope in a God that doesn't disappoint, that will not break our hearts when the end comes. Are you scared, like, of the wars and the rumors of wars? Because I listened to the news this week, and good night. You know, like, you see, like, two big tough guys. You ever, you ever seen, like, two big tough guys, like, at a, you know, like, a, in high school, where all like, I'm the biggest and I'm the toughest, right? And the other's like, I'm the biggest and I'm the toughest, and there's kind of this rivalry. Like, that's all well and good, but whenever the two guys have thermonuclear weapons, like, that starts to get scary, right? Whenever the two guys bump in chests like have armies at their disposal, that starts to get scary. So if you're like me, uh, with no power in the world, and I start reading news about two world leaders going, you know, I'm the biggest and the baddest and the bestest around, like that just frightens me. It frightens me. Scared by wars, filled with anxiety, hear this. In Christ, we have victory. Like if our king is Jesus then we have the biggest, baddest, best king that every king in this world pales in comparison to. So hear me on this, friends. If this world burns to a cinder, 
Christ is more powerful. Ultimately, we hope, not for this earth, uh, in another place, in, in 2 Peter, he, tell, he talks about a new heaven, a new earth that emerged from a trial. So friends, even if things get as bad as they could possibly get on this world today, we have a king who's victorious and who will protect, who can remake the world. I'm not telling you not to care about the world today because we're given the world as stewards, but hear me on this. Our king is making all things new. Every dysfunction that comes from sin uh, every dysfunction comes from sin, right? We know that to be true. And sin infects the whole world, like every person in the world, like a malignant cancer. Like It just gets in us and changes the way we think and it changes the way that we act towards one another. But in Christ, people with cancer are being healed. Do you get that image? Like, that's where our joy comes from. Joy emerges from that truth. And so Paul says to us in two words, one of the shortest verses in the Bible, rejoice always. And that's what he's talking about. Moving on to verse 17, a little bit longer verse. Paul says this, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. So this command is meant to help the church, those of us in the church, kind of fill in the gaps between two conflicting realities that we see. So if you're a believer, if the Holy Spirit has renewed your heart, then that means you know and you trust that Christ is real, that the gospel is real, that heaven awaits you, and the rest of eternity will be filled with joy, right? If you're a believer, then you know that to be true like you know anything to be true. But you live in the world here and now, right? We don't live in heaven right now. Like Jesus is our king, um, but he's on a throne in heaven right now. And there are times whenever our day-to-day -day experience makes it seem like I mean, if the world belongs to anybody, it's the devil. Like, how can you see um, video of, of massacres and think, oh, God's in control, right? And so there's this conflict that comes into us. There's a tension that comes into us. We know that Christ is real. We know that the gospel is real. We know that heaven is forever and it's going to be great. But right now, it doesn't sometimes feel like God is winning. How do you fill in that gap? How do you hold on? Um, the answer to that is prayer. Pray without ceasing. How do, how do we as Christians hold on to what we know is true so that we can rejoice? The answer is prayer. I'm going to read you out of Philippians um, chapter 4, this is another letter written by Paul to a different church. Um, he's just gotten through this, this part where he urges the Philippians to rejoice. Rejoice always. Um, 
you've probably seen that verse on a coffee, coffee cup like at some point. You know, right? And then he says this. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so after urging them to rejoice, he commends them towards prayer. You have to pray. You need to pray. And maybe you'll start noticing a theme here in Paul's teaching. You can go to several of his books and find these things right next to each other as he urges Christians in different places to rejoice, but to pray. And did you notice in Philippians 6, um, 4, I'm sorry, 4, verse 7, he talks about when you pray, when you present your requests to God, something happens. Now, notice he doesn't say God will just do whatever you ask, right? So this isn't like a license of like, Lord, give me a Ferrari, you know, and it appears the bright yellow bow around. No, he says, let your requests be made known to God. And what does he give? What does he promise he'll give? He says, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will come. And so for those of us um, who hope for the world to come, but live in the world of the now, and are looking for a place where we don't just feel that constant anxiety, if we take that anxiety to God, if we pray, if we seek him, he'll give us peace so that those tensions will be relaxed. So you may say, well, that's all well and good, Tony. Um, I would like to uh, have that peace. But Paul says here to pray without ceasing. And how does that work? Does anybody ever have that question? You come across, you know, never stop. Never stop. Um, so what do we do with that? What does it mean to pray without ceasing? Uh, some, some of us may just say, well, it's just Paul being hyperbolic, to use a big word. Like, he's just exaggerating. When Paul says pray without ceasing, what he really means is just, you know, you ought to pray pretty often, right? He's just exaggerating. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to use a couple names here of, like, people from way, way, way in the past. And I'm going to use these names not to impress you. Um, because I know names, but um, to basically drill in the fact that like people, Christians, believers in God have been dealing with these questions for a long time. It's not like you and I just showed up and opened a verse and we're like, you know, what do you do with this? There are people who have been thinking about this for a while. The first one I'm going to mention is a guy named Augustine. Augustine lived like 1,700 years ago, all right? And whenever he came to this idea of praying without ceasing, he was kind of like, well, your knees would start hurting after a while, right? You can only kneel so much. He's I got other stuff to do. I can't literally pray without ceasing. And so he's struggling with what does this mean? Now, he knew that God is omnipotent, that he knows everything, and that means that he knows our hearts. I'm sorry, I'm not omnipotent, omniscient. He's all-knowing, right? He knows our hearts. And if God knows our hearts, then that means that he can hear prayers and know our thoughts even if we're not saying them out loud, right? Even if he's not kneeling. 
And so Augustine said that what this, can, what this is, what it means to pray without ceasing, is to have a constant, ongoing, godly desire. Because God knows the desires of your hearts. He'll know if the desires of your hearts are godly. And so Augustine said to fulfill this command, just cultivate godly desires in your heart, and in a sense you'll be praying without ceasing. There was another guy around the same time uh, named Basil. He's called Basil the Great often, often. And he had a different idea. He said that praying without ceasing was having a spirit of recollection. And what he meant by that is that, you know, if you're a carpenter, then while you're at the bench and you're swinging a hammer, that even though you're working, you know, on your job, you remember what Christ has done for you, right? And whenever you remember what Christ has done for you, that makes you, in just, just a small moment, say, Lord, help me today. You know, even with this, I'm building a table for somebody and I want it to work out really well. Lord, help me as I, as I do this. You know, for a, a modern thing for us today, you know, as we drive to our job or as we drive home, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to face today. You know, quickly, silently in our mind. So that as we sit down at the table and we prepare to eat, even if we don't do like the outward prayer, you know, stand up in the restaurant and say the blessing, you know, even if it's not that, we have a heart that says, Lord, bless this. Thank you for this. With every action, we remember him. So whatever you subscribe to, as far as what this means, um, the truth is common um, we always, often, should return to our Father to speak with Him. He's our God in heaven. He loves us. And in a moment, you can be speaking to Him. If you would just lift your heart, if you would think on Him, it's a privilege. I mean, think about it. He's the King of the universe. He made everything, and He's open to hear you. And so Paul calls us to be faithful to prayer, knowing that God will bring peace out of it. Moving on to the next verse. This is the first part of verse 18. He says this. This is the final command. He says, give thanks in all circumstances. Now this last command is related to the first two. Um, I mean, in a sense, what it means to give thanks to God, we generally do in one of a couple different ways. We do it like through prayer, you know, Lord, thank you. We literally say thank you to God. And um, we also do it when we rejoice or when we worship, right? That is us saying thank you to God. So this last command is definitely related to the first two. Um, and, and truthfully, like a sense of thankfulness, like the, the ability to be thankful for something is related to like joy and peace. It's hard to be thankful for something if you don't sense some sort of happiness related to it, right? Um, for the things you don't like, you're generally not thankful for them. And so it's related to the first two um, pretty closely. But how does that strike us? Give thanks in every circumstance. All the time. Give thanks for everything. Um, how does that strike you? Is anybody excited about the idea that they ought to give thanks in every circumstance? Like, that's easy when things are going our way, right? So you find a quarter on the ground and you get excited because I found a quarter, right? 
thank you. The heavens are great now because I, you know, I found a quarter, right? Someone pats you on the back for something good you did, so you feel good for a moment, and you're like, all is right with the world. It's easy to be thankful when you're there. But uh, when things are a little hard, it's a little harder. Like maybe you can try to find silver linings. Sure, I wrecked my car, but the insurance will pay for it. And maybe I'll find a better one, right, if you have good enough insurance. So there's a silver lining to the, this, you know, well, insurance rates go up. So there are bad things, but there are good things too, right? But it's a little harder. But what about when things are really, really, really bad? Like when the hardest things in life hit. You lose someone you love. Or you see just injustice in the world that you don't even know how to begin to address. What we find is Paul tells them and tells us by extension that thankfulness, that the type of thankfulness we should have is not bound by circumstances, right? It's not determined. That we're not thankful because of what happens. It's a thankfulness that has to go past that. So what can we be thankful for all the time? Silver lining, sure. I mean, if you're the kind of person who's never completely discouraged because you find something to be thankful for, you know, in your circumstances, that's great. I don't want to discourage you from that. But there are bigger things that we can be thankful for. Um, For one, life itself. The fact that you and I are sitting here today breathing and not cold and dead, buried in the ground somewhere, is a reason to be thankful. The fact that we even have the opportunity to experience beauty, like to, to go out and like look up at the sky and see the clouds or to watch a thunderstorm as it starts to roll in and just kind of the feeling in the air that that can evoke in us. Like just having the opportunity to experience those things is a blessing. It's a blessing. Those of you who work at a prison uh, know all about how that blessing is something some people don't have, right? So if you're free and walking around, be thankful. Love, laughter, good music, good food, like sights that capture us. We can be thankful for those things. But the most important thing for us to be thankful for is this. Even though we live in a world filled with futility and death and frustration and destruction, again, we're invited into an eternity of wonder. This stuff is temporary. It's temporary. Hear this from the book of Romans. It says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows us his love, shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life?
Like, if you get into what this passage is actually saying, isn't it shocking? Like, it, it frames all of us, people, as rebels against God. Like, taking part in a cosmic rebellion against the one who gives us breath. So we only live because he allows it. And yet, because of our sin, we shake our fists at him and we curse him. But what, is it, what does it say God does? While we were still weak. While we were still sinners. Christ died for us. So while we were still rebelling against him. God looks at us. And is broken hearted for us. He wants to see us reject our rebellion and accept him and so he makes a way he sends his son to die for us and for our sins and to save us so god is good but the world became filled with violence and rape and murder and the march of conquering armies petty squabbles and broken families you know the big stuff the small stuff and yet God was merciful to save us. If we reflect on God's love and mercy and what he's done and what he will do for us, we will always have something to be thankful for, regardless of our day-to-day -day circumstances. And so if we find ourselves thankless and frustrated, and we're believers, right? If we believe in him, and we're off track, we've forgotten what he's done for us. Last verse in Thessalonians that we're going to read is the last part of 18. It says this, For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So this brings us back to the concept of God's will. How do we know what for sure is God's will for you? Here we find it plain and clear. Again, I can't tell you where you should move or what job you should take. I can't tell you when you should start trying to have kids or when you should stop trying to have kids. Like the big questions we have, I, I don't personally know. I can't answer those for you. God does have a hidden secret will for your life that he will reveal to you as you live it. Um, but we do know clearly what God's will is for our hearts and for our minds. What does he want our hearts to look like? So I can look at you and I say, this truly is God's will for your heart. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter how you're struggling in any other area, I know 100% this is God's will for your heart, for your mind. Maybe after all of this, um, you feel a little bit disheartened. Um, I've had this conversation with some of you before where you've looked at me and basically said, you know, this thing isn't a switch that I can just flip. Like, I can't just turn on joy. Not like I'm, I'm brokenhearted today, and I, you know, I can't just be like, "Woo, now I'm happy, right? 
I can't just turn on thankfulness because I'm not feeling it. Prayer is hard. So maybe you're disheartened hearing this command and thinking, I don't know that I can obey it. Hear me on this. You're right. You can't just turn on joy. You can't just flip a switch for thankfulness. You can't just immediately pray without ceasing with your own will and with your own power. Everything that we need to do these things and obey these commands doesn't come from us. Scripture teaches that it comes from the Holy Spirit. This is the last verse I'm going to read today. It's Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. It says this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So the joy that you need to rejoice, the peace and the the, the faithfulness that you need to pray, right? The joy and the peace that you need to feel to be able to be thankful. They will be built up in you through the work of the Holy Spirit as you pursue God. So if you're in a place right now where you can't say you follow these things perfectly, and I'm just going to be completely honest with you, I'm not, right? There are days that I don't rejoice. But I know that as I pursue God, as I seek him, I will rejoice more and more and more. That's what the Christian life looks like. It looks like day by day, facing the hard things, turning to God for hope and for help and growing. When we stand before God at the end, and if we're Christians and he judges us and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, and he welcomes us into his presence, it won't be because we mustered up the strength to make it happen. It'll be because God took us through a process where we grew. And even though we're not perfect when we die, God says, Jesus died for you, not just, not just for the stuff that I knew you'd, you'd work on and get better at. He died for everything. So friends, I have just two things to say to us as a people in light of all of this. First one is this. Hold on. Just hold on. If you sense in your heart just the hint of a desire for God. Just even if it's just a small ache for I need more, right? I need to know him more. Then I beg you, cling to that. That small hint. And as you cling to it, I'll, I'll ask you to do this. Um, find ways, find time to invest in the things of the Lord. 
Because if you start by clinging to that desire that you feel, which I believe only exists because of the Holy Spirit, then the way that you build on that, that small desire, is to stop yourself occasionally. To, to get out of your day-to-day life as it normally is. Um, get in the Word. Like, we're lucky to have a thousand translations of the Bible, you know, some that are, are translated for the, you know, the scholarly of the scholarly, and some that are translated for children. So wherever you are, there is a, there's, a, there's a Bible you can get a hold of that you can read and understand. You can get into God's Word. The second thing that I would say is fill your ears with worship. In the first century, they didn't have, like, iPhones and iPods and, like, earbuds. But praise the Lord, you do. And there's a host of good music out there that you can put in your ears and listen to that will encourage you to worship. This isn't like God commanding you to listen to good, like good worship music, but this is me, your pastor, saying it's out there, it's available, and it will shape your heart the more you listen to it. There are times whenever you can't, like whenever you're driving in your car, you probably can't read your Bible, right? But you can listen Find some solitude, get away from the noise, do one of those things. And if you're struggling, you don't know how to do that, you don't know where to find the margin, then I would urge you, find help from a friend. You have brothers and sisters in Christ in this room who would love to walk beside you to help you grow. And if you've been here the last few weeks, Karis, you've heard me command you, it's your job, right, to do that for your fellow brothers and sisters. So in all things, friends, let's rejoice. Let's learn to pray without ceasing. And let's be thankful to God no matter what happens. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to come to you now and thank you for your goodness and your mercy towards us. Um, Even though we don't deserve it, even though we rebel against you, even though we chase things to make us happy that will never make us happy. Lord, you've been patient and loving towards us. Lord, we thank you um, for your son who died for us to make any of our joy possible. Um, Lord, as we go out this week, we ask that you would help us to learn how to invest our hearts in you. Lord, help us to help one another to grow. Father, um, there's lots of trouble in the world today. Trouble that grieves us and that we know for sure grieves you. Lord, I ask that you would give us hearts that reflect yours so that as we interact with others in the world, there would be no hatred or dysfunction in the way that we act and talk. Lord, we confess that if everyone had a heart like yours, if we were all like you, um, we wouldn't have the tears that we have. So we ask that you would use us to be an encouragement to those who are hurting. We ask that you would use us to seek justice today. Lord, even more so than any of that, we pray that you would come quickly. We know that the ultimate solution 
to the problems in this world um, don't arrive until you do. And so, Lord, we pray to you and we thank you and we just trust that you're at work and trust that you're coming soon. I pray this in Jesus' name.